Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to The Naked Podcaster with Jen Taylor. Today I'm here with Tembi Becca. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you. How are you? Good. I love connecting right before we start the podcast interview because it's so exciting. <laughs> so your website is your name and I'll have that in the link, but it's tembibecca.com. And I want to know, I want to learn for people who don't know what you do. Tell me about your business. Wow. Uh, this is going to take quite a while, but right now, let's talk about, let's talk about right now what I'm doing. I empower women. I help women empowerment projects in Africa. I started teaching women in Zimbabwe, particularly how to work as virtual assistants. So I take them from no computer knowledge to knowing how to be a VA by the end of, uh, of the training and working as a virtual assistant for somebody. Holy cow. That's, that's a pretty, I'm a virtual assistant. That's a really yeah. big undertaking. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I was never a virtual assistant. I hired virtual assistant and trained virtual assistants in my company on my own. And then when I went to Zimbabwe, actually, to do this empowerment project, I thought, I'm going to teach women how to create income online the same way I did it. And I got there, Jen. It was a complete different story. People didn't care about trying to build a website and doing this. They wanted to have food on their table at night. So I was like, okay, what's the quickest way? I can, somebody can create income without having to build a list and do that in virtual assistant. That's how it came about. Wow. So obviously you have an accent. <laughs> really? <laughs> Either that or I do. One of us. <laughs> um, let's, so you work a lot. Let's just, I want to, your website has a lot and people can go on and look, but you do a lot to empower women in a lot of different ways. Yes, yes, um, I do. Mm -hmm. I know you do a lot of public speaking. Um, and so it's all about, your stuff is all about empowering women. You also have a podcast, podcast and speaking, and then different programs for people to sign up. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, you even have a link that says African Safari. So that's on my bucket list. I wanted, I don't know if that's what it's about, but. Um, you, you're very passionate about that. So I want to go back and tell me when you were born, where you were born, where you're from and kind of the story that led you to today. Absolutely. So yes, uh, my website is very detailed. Uh, I don't just empower women in Africa. I also empower because what I discovered after living in Canada for 18 years is that Western women also need empowerment. So I give them empowerment and I take them on an African safari where they reconnect with their purpose and rediscover their bigger why. That's really where it is, and I do a lot of coaching around that. But back to where it all started, born and bred in Zimbabwe, that is in Africa, people, it's not in uh, the Caribbean <laughs> islands. Uh, <laughs> it is in Africa, yes, you are correct. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was born in Zimbabwe, and I am... Um, you know, growing up, I grew up, like most people from Africa, really grew up in a very poor environment. Uh, my mom, single mom, three kids, and 
she really didn't have much going on for her. And so you grow up in that environment where you're seeing a lot of poverty and you just, one thing which was good about my mom is that she encouraged us to get an education because she knew that an education was going to be our pathway to get out of this poverty cycle. So I worked hard, I passed my school and I worked hard and I, I had a decent education, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough because the unemployment rate at that time, I think it was around 70%. So really the chances of getting employed in Zimbabwe were very slim. And then you are a woman. It is a very patriarchal society. Uh, men are still in control of a lot of things compared to uh, most places. So it was so hard to get a job. It was so hard to get a job. Eventually got a job. Uh, eventually got married. And then during that whole process, I discovered when I was five months pregnant that my husband at that time had two other wives and five children. So I was wife number three. Oh my gosh, wait, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's so, not illegal. It was, um, we were, cause we don't do, we didn't do like the chapter, or what do you call it here? Like the certificate marriage. It, okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a dowry marriage, like where he pays Lobola for you, gives your parents cows and that's kind of how the marriage was for us. Oh, okay, so, that's yeah. a little different. <laughs> Yeah, that was a little different. We could have done the other way, but he would have still been married, culturally married to his to his other two wives. But during that time, also something interesting happened. I decided that I was going to leave. I decided that I, I wasn't I, I wasn't happy in this. I tried to stick around for a little bit, and the reason why I was sticking around, Jen, is because I had nothing else going for me, and so um. I went to my mom and I told them, like, I, I, this is not working. I have to leave. And my mom's like, if you leave, who's going to take care of you? And it was like, okay, maybe I need to stick around for a little bit. So I did hang around in that relationship until I was able to leave and come to Canada. So wait a minute, but this was your mom who was a single mom that raised three kids asking who was going to take care of you. I would have thought that she would have felt differently. Or was it such a struggle she didn't want you to go through that? Yeah, she didn't want, I think it was a struggle for having yeah. a single mom. She definitely didn't want that for me. And even up to now, one of my mom's prayers, I'm sure every night is, please God, give my daughter a, a husband. Because she, she is of that generation who believes that she was a failure in life because she never got married. Oh. So you, you were working and did you save up money so that you could leave? No. Uh, well, it was kind of paycheck to paycheck. You're getting paid about $200, really. How much can you save for a ticket? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I came here as a refugee. I came to Canada as a refugee. There was a refugee program. And actually, the way it worked out is that I did have a little bit of money. Not a lot, but a little bit of money. And because my ex was my husband at that time, he also helped me. He had a lot of money. He also helped me. And he, uh, he, I asked for the money in a different way. I'm not going to disclose how that went, uh, but definitely it wasn't for a ticket to Canada. And so, <laughs> and so he helped wow. me with that. And then, and gathering a few resources, my sister and my family. And then also as a refugee, you do get a little bit of assistance. So that's how I came. And I had only $5 in my pocket when I landed. So wait a minute. Um, okay. Where were you in the pregnancy or with the baby? 
And what was the marriage like? I know he had two other wives. I'm not <laughs> making that okay. But otherwise, how was the marriage? Okay, so how it ended up happening is because is that I ended up staying with my parents, my mom, even though I was married, because, you know, I ended up staying with my mom and being taken care of by my husband while I was staying with my mom. So there was that portion. So it was a marriage, but you're still staying with your mom. So it's not like a marriage where you're staying with your husband. It was a marriage where I was still staying with my mom. And um, what happened is when I left, eventually when I discovered the courage to leave, my daughter was 10 months old at that time. And so I asked my mom, because I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't bring my daughter. I couldn't, I didn't know where I was going. Like I'd never, I'd never been on an airplane in my life. So I didn't even know where I was going. So I'm like, mom, can you help me? Can you take care of my daughter? And my mom was like, yeah, I can do that. Uh, but the only condition is that you have to wait until she is at least off breastfeeding. So I waited until she was 10 months old. And then when she was 10 months old, that's when I left. And the political situation at that time was really getting tense. So it was, uh, yeah, it was that situation where it was uh, something I had to live for as well. Holy cow. So I understand now how it was possible to leave your daughter because it was your mom. Yes. But still, oh my gosh, my heart breaks. Yeah. You know, Jen, when you are talking about it, um, when you tell people about it now, you're like, oh my God, how did I do that? Like leaving my child at 10 months old. But then at that time, there was no, there was no better option. No, like it yeah. was, it, it was either that or either I stay in this marriage and eventually, hopefully, eventually something, some miracle happens and, uh, and you know, whatever happens, happens. But it was that situation where, you know what, I have to go and I have to leave and I have to leave for my daughter so that she has a better future because I don't want her to be in the same situation. Exactly. And the, your husband didn't know you were leaving. So you didn't know where, and you didn't even know where you were going. It was just a refugee program. You got on a plane and you were going to land somewhere. I knew I was coming to Canada. Okay. So yeah, I, that I knew I was coming to, and I had an option. I, it's not like I, I didn't, I didn't have an option in the choice. I had an option. Uh, and I remember the um, person who was helping me with this said, you could either go to Canada via France or via Egypt. And I had never been to France before. And I had read somewhere that France is very romantic and Paris is beautiful. And I was like, I'm going to go via France. Because in my mind, I thought I'm going to get off Paris and I'm just going to go to the Eiffel Tower and fall in love and then hop on back onto the plane. Didn't happen that way. <laughs> well, that was my next part. <laughs> I know you landed in Canada, so <laughs> that's a very romantic note, really romantic. How, how old were you at this, at this time? 22. Oh, so young. Yeah, I was a baby, yeah. So you land in Canada... And take me through that because that's not a similar culture at all. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard. You know, I landed in Canada and they had, they knew cause Zimbabwe was going through a difficult political turmoil. So everybody who was landing basically was coming as a refugee. So they had this refugee program where they put you through, you stayed at the YMCA for 30 days before they, um, put you in the community and kind of helped you get a job and all that stuff. 
So that's really was that there was a lot of, and, and the thing is I landed because I went through France. I landed in Montreal for some reason. Didn't know that Montreal was French. Didn't speak any French word. So there was definitely the cultural shock uh, of the language, the cultural shock of the weather. I landed December 1st. Um, and the cultural shock of just the, the, the different people who you're not used to, to being and trying to get a, a new job. But it was really a, a moment of survival. And I remember my first job, it was at a car wash. Um, didn't know what I was doing. Somebody told me car washes were fancier in Canada than they were in Zimbabwe. And I worked for one day and I quit. But I kept going and striving and striving just because for me, it was a living day by day, as long as I could make enough money to send for my mom so she could take care of my daughter, that was enough for me. I'm from New England in Vermont, and so we would drive to Montreal. Montreal is like a different country, even in Canada. And <clears throat> so I have culture shock when I go. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's true. Yeah. Uh, what languages did you speak? I spoke English. So and I spoke my local languages, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine, I cannot even imagine showing up in Montreal in December. Also, what was it like, because I don't know what your house looked like in Zimbabwe and your living situation, mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of poverty there, but what, weren't the streets different and the way people lived and what was it like to go into a grocery store? Yeah, you know, it was completely different. The first thing is, um, well, I can't say the houses were different per se as much because, you know, a house is a house. It's got bedrooms and a living room and a kitchen. Obviously, the kitchens are different. Everything is fitted, cupboards here, and you've got a stove and a fridge. Therefore, you to have a stove and a fridge, uh, you're kind of wealthy. So I felt wealthy, obviously. I felt rich living in my one-bedroom apartment. Um, the... The arrogance I had, it helped me a lot. You know, um, when you when you don't know, you don't know. I, I had so many big dreams. I, I'm so grateful for that. And I wish I could go back to that one time because it, you, I was dreaming unlimitless. I remember just coming from the airport and I saw a sign which said $191 a car. And I was like, oh my God. If I get a job and I get paid $7 an hour, because those were the rates, that means I can buy a car within a week. I didn't know that um, that 191 was a car payment, and I didn't know. So that arrogance, though, what it did for me is it helped me push harder, because I kept telling myself, I have to work hard and get a car. I have to work hard and, and do this. I can do this, and I can do that. And you know, I realized with just with that movement how anything was possible. Because here is a girl who came with $5 and after a month, she's getting paid $350. That's like, what, 50 times more? I don't even know. And I'm like, oh my God, I could make as much money as I want. I think that those were things which helped me with that process. It wasn't about, oh no, this, the house is different. Oh no, this and that. For me, it was all opportunity. I was, I was just full of optimism. That's amazing. What a, what a great mindset. That's amazing. So you were sending money back to your mom. Yeah. And how long did it take to get your daughter and what happened with your sisters and your mom? 
and yeah so i um my daughter joined me when she was four uh four years old so i didn't see her for about three and a half years i think yeah she was four and a half when she came to see me to, to join me in montreal my mom came with her to make the transition easy and she stayed for a year so that the transition could get used to it that transition was very hard um, because my daughter didn't, I didn't know how to be a mom. And she, even though she called me mom, her mom was really my mom. So that transition was really the first few years were, were really hard for me. I was still young. I was still, you know, kind of used to having my own life, sleeping whenever I wanted to sleep, getting up whenever I wanted to get up. And now I have to take care of this four-year-old who's relying on me. And that was just so hard. So there was that difficult transition, which I had to go through. Eventually, my sister, the political situation got really worse in Zimbabwe. So a, right a year after that, I actually helped my sister and my brother to leave. And they left. My sister is in Australia and my brother is in New Zealand. So what made them choose those locations or did they not have? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah there was not much of a choice there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that must have been a cult. You helped them, I'm sure, with their any culture shocks to some degree, the transition. Or were they, uh, you just helped them get there? I, you know, I can't say I helped them with the culture shocks because I don't know what Australia and New Zealand is like. I didn't know at that time. But what happened is during those times, a lot of Zimbabweans were leaving. Um, and so it's not like you would go to this place where you're just all by yourself. You would find a community of Zimbabweans and you would see black people. And, you know, when you're seeing a black person in Canada and you're from Africa, you're like, oh, my God, I wonder if she speaks my language. And so, <laughs> so eventually you, you meet somebody who speaks your language. And so you, you, we had that community support. Uh, that really helped as well, just having those people who were in similar situations like me. There was nothing special about me. There were people who were exactly in the same situation. Some of them had left their husbands and some of them had left their children. Uh, but it was so good for us to keep each other and comfort each other. And I'm not saying it was easy, but it, it was doable. What happened with work? You had gone to school in Zimbabwe and done well. Mm -hmm. Where did you kind of where did that education leave off? Did you get through what we consider high school? Yes, um, yes, I did high school and I did, um, I actually did a certification, which is, um, it's almost equivalent to a degree. Uh, it's, it's a UK association, it's called the uh, CIS, Secretary Institute of, uh, Chartered Institute of Secretaries. It's more like the Chartered Institute of Accountants, but it's, it's Chartered. So I had a good education, but when I, Go to Montreal. Montreal is a different, as you say, country on its own. Um, first of all, I couldn't even understand much of the stuff they were saying. But from my understanding, they told me that I had to go back to school. From my understanding, they didn't recognize what I had. And so I, I was like, okay. So I basically went back to school. I applied to nursing school and I sent my certificates and uh, I got into nursing and I, work, I, and I went to school to be a registered nurse. That's really how it ended up working. So I was working school and going to work full time. So I did that both because I couldn't get student loans for the first few years uh, as, a, as a nurse because I wasn't a Canadian. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. So you were working and going to school and nursing school is not all that easy. So did you, mm -hmm. did you get through nursing school? Yes, I did. Wow. Became a registered nurse and I started working as a nurse. I worked as a nurse for 10 years, almost 10 years. See, that's not on your website. I did not know that. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea about that. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I was a registered and I see you registered nurse, not just a nurse, an ICU nurse. Wow. So a little bit intensive there. So yeah, and I I enjoyed that work. And the reason why I transitioned from it, well, first of all, is I started investing in real estate. I started investing in real estate because I I still had, you know, at the back of my mind, and I think all of us do, at the back of our minds, we have this struggle, which I went through of leaving a marriage and moving into this. And I was like, I want to help women back home. I kind of want to start sponsoring women. Um, and the nursing salary wasn't enough. It, it, it's good, but it's not, it wasn't enough for that. So I figured, okay, so why don't I, instead of um, just relying on the nursing salary, why don't I start investing in real estate? And the little money I make, I'm going to start sponsoring these women. So that's really how I transitioned into this whole entrepreneurship thing. Um, so I started investing in real estate and that really went, went, went well, but the money with real estate, you don't get money right away. You only get money when you sell a property. Usually it's just little bits of money. It wasn't enough to sponsor people. And I kept trying to find ways to do it and sending a little bit of money, helping back home here and there, but it just wasn't enough. And then eventually I had really gone from, um, real estate and I invested and I had been able to quit my nursing job just with real estate. But then I got to a point where I was feeling this emptiness, this void. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm successful in real estate. I've quit my job. I live in this beautiful city now, kind of retired, semi-retired. What do I do next? And I was drawn back to real estate and I started listening to, an, uh, to, to tr trainings. And one of the trainings which came through was, um, Somebody who said, if you have the ability to make more money and change the world and you are not doing it, you're selfish. And I was like, holy macaroni. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that because I was like, I need to make more money. I need to, I need to help those women in Africa. And I decided, what, what can I do? And, you know, the universe just always works together and just brings you to, to the right place and came across online marketing. I was like, huh, I guess I can teach them how to invest in real estate online. And that's really how I started this whole online thing. So I was starting to teach women in Africa how to invest in real estate. And it turns out 90% of my audience, actually almost 100% of my audience were men. I was like, hold on a second. That's really not why I started. And I'm trying to get women. Then I realized they are not there yet. They are not at the investing level yet. And then I just continued doing the coaching for investing in real estate. Most of my clients ended up coming from North America and Canada. And, that's, and then after that, I was like, you know what? This is it. I had another epiphany. That epiphany happened when I went to Zimbabwe. Visited Zimbabwe again and I, I got there and I realized the situation I left eight, about 15 years ago at that time is still the same. It hasn't changed. You go back, you're thinking things have changed. Things have really stabilized. I mean, it's 15 years. Civilization has probably kicked in. And then you get in there. You're like, oh my God, 
women are still stuck in abusive relationships because of money. Some women are still trading their bodies just to create income. And some men are pimping their wives for money. And, you know, this, that was hard for me. That was so hard for me to see that. And I remember uh, my daughter had a conversation with one of her friends and my daughter being brought up in Canada asked the friend and said, why doesn't your mom just leave? And this little girl said, she can't. My dad is the one who takes care of him. And then I thought to myself, this is still happening. This is still happening. And at that time, you know, I, I realized how I had left my passion, how I'd left my purpose, how I'd left my big why, uh, and just pursued and being and been drawn into the money cycle and forgotten why really why really I even started all this. And that's when I just stopped. I dropped everything, stopped teaching real estate. I was uh, well-known uh, in the real estate industry, canceled that, told my audience, it was very hard, told my audience that effectively I'm going to start working with women and helping women and empowering women. And so that's really how I came about this. How old was your daughter at the time that you guys went to Africa and you made that change? Oh, it's just recently she was 16. Okay. And you stay, you have stayed in Montreal? No, I moved from Montreal a long time ago. I couldn't stand the winters and I couldn't. Okay. So you want to hear the story how I moved yeah. to Montreal? <laughs> I, I went to, cause I've graduated as a nurse and then I, I went, I got a job two weeks into the job. I quit with no money, nothing else. What happened with that is I went to work and my patient and my patient will tell me, I speak English, but because this is Quebec, I am not going to speak English. I'm just going to speak in French. And I didn't understand the, because the French in Quebec is deep. It's yeah. very deep, uh, especially if they're coming from the rural Quebec places. It's very, and they have a, an accent of the Quebec rural. And I didn't understand that. And it was so hard. And the unit I was working in, they would just speak, even though it was an English hospital, everything would all be in French. And two weeks in, I just, I went to work crying every day. And two weeks in, I was like, I can't take this. And I had a friend who was in Edmonton and she says, you have to come here. It's so beautiful. It's so spacious. It's so airy. You just have to move here. And I was like, I quit. And I just had enough money to pay for my belongings to move. And I went, I moved to um, Edmonton and I lived in Edmonton for six years. And then I had it with the winters. I was done with the winters. I was like, I can't take winters anymore. And I moved to a place called Kelowna. It's about three hours from Vancouver. Ah, and that's okay. where I am. Mm -hmm. So Edmonton is outside of Calgary. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So you went from the East Coast to the West Coast of Canada. It is yes. beautiful there. It is beautiful. Oh, I love it. I love but it. But winters, yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't like them either. So you're <laughs> still in Canada. Yes. Well... I was in Canada until four months ago. Okay. So when was, you moved, you stay. So where are you now? Uh, right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm in Kelowna, but I will be going. I just came back um, in April. I, so I'll, I'll, I can tell you the story about that. There is a lot of stories to me. It's a deeper yeah. layer. like an onion. You have to keep killing it. <laughs> <laughs> so you did two weeks of nursing and you left, and then you continued to do nursing for 10 years. So six years in yes. 10, and then when you moved yes. to Kelowna... And then yes, you I did real estate. 
Yes, okay. yes. I thought that the real estate. W- yes, I ha- I have one daughter and one son now. Eventually, I did have another son. Yeah, See, a so- child just popped up on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Go back like and that. fill us in on your son. <laughs> okay. So um, basically what happened is uh, in 2012, that's when my son popped up. I, I actually did get married again. I did get married again. And uh, fortunately, that relationship, I realized the cycle early on uh, that this wasn't what I wanted and this wasn't what I needed. And I just left it right away. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a relationship I wanted to be in. Um, and by the time I left, I was already pregnant. And so kind of, that's how it works. goes for me. <laughs> that's so, how it works, yep. that's how it works for me. Get pregnant, get get pregnant and then you leave. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a one-stop shop. <laughs> one-stop shop. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have communication with either of the dads? I do have communication with my first husband. Um, I did because I, I never knew my father until I, I didn't meet my dad until I was 20. So I didn't want that to happen for my kids, for my daughter, especially. And I really worked hard to, um, to create and build that relationship up until I felt like, okay, I think I've done my part. So there was, there is definitely, it's not like this blood bad blood in between us, despite everything that happened, I did try to keep that relationship. And yes, we do communicate. No need to communicate with him as much now because my daughter is 18. Uh, but that's basically how it went. And with my son, there's really no communication at all. Well, good for you for keeping the communication for your daughter. Do- I mean, that's a tough thing to do and you didn't have to in that situation. You could have disappeared kind of. So good for you. That, that's great. Okay, so a sun pops out. <laughs> sun pops out. Uh-huh. Okay, um, we got past that. Um, and then let's see, I'm trying to, you've dropped a lot of bombs. So let me, let me figure out. You, let's go to where the real estate, you just, you went to Zimbabwe and you just were done. You, you ended real estate. What was that like for your life? Cause you're living a lifestyle wherever you are. Yeah, it was, um, well, I, I had, I had bought some properties, real estate properties. So I had uh, that income coming in and I also had coaching clients who was also helping me with the income. But at that time, I think for me, it wasn't about the money. It, it really, it really stopped being about the money. It was about just being fulfilled about what I was doing. Because I was at the stage where I'm like, you know what? I can't, if I have to talk to one more, I actually, this is what happened. I actually did launch another program for real estate to say, maybe I need to change, to change the program. Maybe if I change the program, it's going to be better. And that program, I only had one sale. And I knew that I wasn't aligned with it. I knew I was like, there's no alignment in this. I have lost alignment in this. I need to move on. And I basically refunded the person her money. And I said, I'm not doing real estate anymore. I am done with real estate. So financially, it was tough because you, you have this income which has been coming on. All of a sudden, now you don't have as much income. And the real estate market in Alberta, which is where I invested heavily, is very soft. So it's not like, you can just sell a house like that and, and get more money out. It was a little bit hard. So there was a definite, definite transition. But as I said, I was willing 
to take the risk. I was like, I don't care what it takes. I'm just, uh, I'm just done. I just have to do what I am called to do. I would think growing up in Zimbabwe and showing up in Canada in a French speaking community with $5 to your name, this was probably not <laughs> that difficult, but we do get used to life and you do have kids and just stopping everything. You know, people say, I quit my corporate job and I did this a hundred percent. And that's very difficult for most of us to do. Yeah, I think it is. But you know what? You just said something very interesting there. When you have come to a country with five bucks in your pocket and you didn't know where you were going, the, the question I always ask myself and that's the same question I always ask my coaching students, what's the worst that could happen? Really? What's the worst that could happen? I have a credit card. I didn't have that when I got here. <laughs> and investments. And, and um, investments. Yeah. And, yeah. What's the it's worst different. that could happen? It's different. So tell, yeah. let's, let's dive into the birth of your business. The birth of my business. So, yeah. So this is after two years, after I'm um, going to Zimbabwe and realizing that, you know, I just need to change and start helping these women. Um, one thing which I also started noticing more and becoming aware is that a lot of, and I'm going to use the word Western, please don't take it wrong to the audience, but I mean, North American, European, you know what I mean. Yes. So a lot of Western women were also going through the same struggles. I actually took uh, a friend to Zimbabwe after the year after, and I took her on a trip and she was going through a very difficult situation at that time. And she came back. She's like, oh my God, that changed me. That trip has just given me a different perspective. And I had seen that with myself. Like I had lost it. Like I had, I just didn't have that connection and that passion. So that's really how I was like, maybe I need to start helping women reconnect to their bigger purpose and reconnect to their why. And that's how the safari trip started. I started taking women on African safari missions. It's called the Rediscover Your Lioness Within um, mm -hmm. trip where we go, we go for uh, 10 to 12 days, depending on which trip you take. And we just go dive deep and we're like, okay, so what is your passion? What is, what is it that you really, really deep down care about? And how are you called for? And we kind of dive deep, just like this podcast. We really go naked on, on, people's, <laughs> on, on people's bigger purpose and, and do that. So we do the, those trips. So because of those trips, after those trips, people wanted to continue. And so I have a, I started a coaching program with them. It's more like a mastermind where I meet them once a month and we just continue the relationship and we just continue talking and saying, okay, so what's next and all that stuff. So that's really how, um, how that business was born and bred. And I still knew that I needed to impact women in Zimbabwe. I still knew that, but I wasn't sure how. So I thought of an idea. I was like, okay, what about if I move back? Because Zimbabwe is really hard to do things virtually. It's easier when you are there in person. So I was like, you know what? Four months ago, I just picked up my stuff and I'm like, I'm moving to Zimbabwe. And I moved to Zimbabwe and I, the four months where it was actually December, I came back in April here in Canada. Hardest four months of my life tell me talk about adjusting to a new life and a new culture okay first of all i got there and people were so hopeless dire straits so hopeless and then not only are people hopeless 
people are just, um, there's a huge scarcity mindset. Huge scarcity mindset. People have lived in lack for so long, they don't believe they can ever have abundance. And I'm not saying that's everybody, but that's what I saw and that's what I felt. And I got there, the first few weeks I was there, the government, there was some political rioting, the government shuts the internet down, my business is online, and I couldn't have access to internet. And my car got stoned because I was going to the city. I didn't know that the rioting affected some of us. Thought it was for other people. My car got stoned and it was just so difficult, so difficult. Um, basically, where I was living, the water would go away because there's water rationing every Sunday and it would come back every Wednesday, every single week. That's and really hard to imagine. It was so hard. It was so hard. I cannot describe. It will be so hard to describe the four months of me living in Zimbabwe to anybody. Like I, the first few months, the first two months, I think I used to cry every day. I used to cry every day. Like I, I just I was like, this was a bad decision. This was why did I do this? I'm going to go back to Canada. This was horrible. And then I started training my women. Um, and then you start hearing their stories. You start hearing their backgrounds. You start hearing how these women sacrificed my training program. I charged them because I believe people should invest in their education. And I, they paid $100. And you're listening to their story and they're earning less than $100 a month. And then that turned around for me. And it was still hard, but it was a positive heart of gratitude to just being grateful to say, at least. I got fuel today to drive my car. This lady walked 10 kilometers just to get to this class. You know, so it turned into that kind of gratitude. I came back very beaten down and very tired um, because I felt like I just needed to come and take a break and go back. I will be going back. Zimbabwe is my home and these women need me. I am not giving up on them and I need them. They taught me a lot. I learned so much in the last four months. Resilience, patience, everything. You talk about it. I learned it. I just, um, it was just, um, it was just an experience. Did you understand their attitude of scarcity when you were living in that situation? I got into the scarcity mindset too. That, that's what happened. I got, the situation was so difficult to the extent where you find yourself slowly because you're surrounded by everybody who, not, and I shouldn't say everybody because there are people who have got an abundance mindset, but a lot of people, a lot of people who has been, who's talking about lack, lack, lack all the time. It's always about fuel, just to get fuel. You used to line up, line up for four hours just to get fuel, to fill up your tank line up for four hours. So there's always that shortage, that shortage, just to go to the bank to get your money. You line up for hours and hours. And sometimes you get there and they tell you, sorry, the money is finished. You have to come try back tomorrow. So you end up getting slowly, slowly, you end up getting drained into the situation. And suddenly enough, you don't realize it until you get out of it. And that's what happened with me. I got out of it and I went to Phoenix. I had a, um, a trip in Phoenix and I got there to Phoenix and I was like, oh my God, yeah. I was just like them. 
which is interesting because you know the other side of it and you're yeah. there to pull them out. And I think it's just, it's so curious to me because it's so easy for us to just say, well, why can't you just be optimistic and happy with what you have and have an attitude of abundance? And then us that live that way, we're very first world in Western country, go there and even we can get sucked down into that scarcity yeah. mindset. I imagine it would be very, very difficult not to. Oh, it was so hard. It, it was so hard. At first, the first few days you're recognizing it and you're like trying to fight the system. And then after a few days, you're like, you just stop fighting because you're now like, you're not like everybody. And oh, now I get with no water for three days a week, every yeah. week. And you're living without fuel in your car and being able to, I mean, you're not treated any differently. So of course. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How many women took the class and how did you focus? Because like you said, the men are already, they're all ready to sign up to make more money and go online. Um, it's a very patriarchal. So how did you even tap into the woman that it must've been so hard to even get your hopes up that me as a woman, I could do your course and make a difference. It would be difficult. Yeah. There was a lot of mindset work. There was a lot of mindset work. The first, um, the first, what I did actually, the first, just to get them to class, to the first class, I didn't even enroll them into the $100 program. I just did a one day event. And just to get people to the one day event was hard because they don't believe. They're like, what, this, this and that. And um, it's funny because I tried to do Facebook advertising and the comments which would be there would be like, this is a scam. It's human trafficking. Why do you want women alone? And <laughs> How come, how come men are not included, you know, and all that stuff. So, so there was that. So the first, the first month I, um, I just did one day events and I did a bunch of one day events just to educate them. And what I did is I already had a VA who was working for me, was based in Zimbabwe. And I brought her in and I was like, she, he, here is this girl. She's been working with me and I have a VA who was working in Kenya. I said, she, he's been working with me for three years now. He's in Kenya. She's been working with me. She's in Zimbabwe. You guys can do it. And I just worked so hard on that one day event to just solve them and, and enroll them into believing themselves. And then we did the four week intensive program. And basically it was a lot of enrolling them into believing in themselves. Yeah. You have to sell them hope first. Yeah. Yeah. Before you yeah. can teach them how to be a virtual assistant. You have exactly. To so we had to go through that. We had to go through that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we still have to. Absolutely. Well, it's not, it's not a destination. And we know yes. that from being, you know, that from being in the Western world where there are so many women that feel that scarcity and have to work on their why. And uh, uh, it's still a negative society, maybe negative in a different way, but we're, I, I think we live in a pretty negative society and that's a scarcity mindset. And mm -hmm. uh, so I can't imagine what they're going what the women in Zimbabwe are going through compared to us here and we have we all have those issues tell me how many women went through the program that you're able to continue working with from Zimbabwe the first group it was 27 that's fantastic okay yeah yeah so we are running the second group right now 
but the first group was 27. And these women were so, I am so proud of them. So proud of them. You know, Jen, um, and I'm talking here about some days where I'll be dragging my feet to even go to class because I'm so tired and because I spend all day doing nothing because it's hot. And, um, and these women are coming from work, some of them all day, and some of them are walking from home wherever they live. And they came to class every single day. Not miss a class. And Not when you said 10 kilometers, that's 6.2 miles for those of us in the U.S. I run a yeah. 10K, and yeah. uh, that's not a joke with, that they're walking that far just to, just, yeah. to just to get education. And, you know, you listen to their stories. You listen to how, how they worked just to get the money to be in class. And, yeah, yeah, you just, it, it's, it, it, I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. How many came through on the second group? This group we do have, we had 32, but we've had one dropout due to a family emergency. So we're 31. That's really incredible. I know it was a lot of work, but that's really incredible. That's, yeah. that's a lot of change. Yeah, that is step by step, bit by bit. And we're going to continue doing this and just teaching them and helping them get jobs out there and just, and just, and just, because the salary they get, even though it's not a lot uh, compared to uh, a VA in the United States or anywhere else, goes a long way from somebody who was working, making $100 a month. It goes a long way for them. How are you connecting the women in the U.S. that are going on the African safari and the situation in Zimbabwe? Is there a connection with that or are they completely different things? There is. So usually when we go to, uh, to this African safari, one of the things we do is we do meet some of the local women. We meet the local women, uh, they share their stories and they share their struggles and how they overcome those struggles with our African safari clients. And our Saf African safari clients then realize that, huh, I guess I shouldn't complain about my air conditioning not working. Uh, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no offense to that. Very first world. The very first world. It's, I, I, it is. And I love my first world luxuries and I do not want exactly. to go out. Yes. But yeah. We don't but but it gives you a, a different perspective. Yeah. It gives you a different perspective. Yeah. And I think it's actually what I've noticed with the women I've taken to the safari is that. When they come back, actually their, their revenues increase because they realize, especially because most of them are entrepreneurs, um, they realize that, oh my God, how entitled I was here complaining about, I can't launch or I can't offer this program because the, the painting is not very clean or because the graphic is not well put out. And they just start take, taking action and just getting out there, getting it out there. I am so excited about what you're doing and you speak a lot and people rave about you, which I understand. Uh, and you can, people can find you on their site. I love how you're empowering women here by connecting them somewhere else where it's different. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're empowering women there. It's such, such a great program. Thank you so much, Tembi, for sharing. Thank you, Jen, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.